You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Jonah, starting in chapter 1, verse 17, going through chapter 2, verse 10. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me, And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Uh, When I was a missionary in the country of Jordan, every few months I had to leave the country uh, and come back again anytime my visa expired. And one of the times when I was getting ready to leave, a friend of mine and I thought it would be a great opportunity to take a short vacation over to Egypt, uh, since we'd never been there before. And, you know, you could fly from Amman, Jordan to Cairo about three hours, uh, but we thought it'd be a great opportunity to take a ferry across the Red Sea and bus across the Sinai Desert and get the opportunity to, to see parts of the world where you know, Moses and the Israelites had once wandered. Uh, so we bought a ticket, and we went down to the ferry, uh, went down to the, the Red Sea port. Except uh, when we arrived there, that ferry that we had bought a ticket for was nowhere in sight. And in fact, we waited along with everybody else for about eight hours until the ferry did finally show up. And as it was coming towards the shore, uh, the first thing that I noticed was that smoke was billowing out the top of the ferry, uh, which is never a good sign, never a good way to start your vacation. Uh, But apparently the reason that it had arrived so late was that while crossing the Red Sea from Egypt to Jordan, uh, one of its engines had caught on fire. So everybody was was safe, but we had to wait till the next day when they could send another ferry to pick us up to 
help us cross the sea. So the next afternoon, we're a day behind schedule. We finally arrive to this tiny little fishing village on the coast of Egypt. And it's here that we're supposed to catch a bus uh, that will take us all the way across the, the Sinai Peninsula and into Cairo. But just like the ferry, the bus was nowhere in sight because the ferry had caused us to arrive late that meant that we had just missed the bus. And it would be another day before another bus would arrive. So this vacation, quote unquote, uh, was obviously off to a, a rocky start. Uh, and just to make matters worse, this village was so small that it didn't have any kind of hotel that we could spend the night at. Uh, instead, the closest thing that they had were these uh, straw huts that, that kind of lined the beach. And you could rent one of them for the equivalent of about $5 a night. And $5 a night may sound great until you realize that you get exactly what you pay for. Uh, it was a single straw hut, kind of looked like something right out of Gilligan's Island. Uh, and there was just a, a single mattress on the floor inside. So my friend and I flipped a coin and the winner got to stay in the hut and the loser had to sleep outside in the hammock. And I won, but I didn't realize until later it, it might have actually been better had I have lost uh, I slept inside on this mattress, but I didn't realize until the next morning uh, that that mattress was actually full of bed bugs. So I walked out of the hut the next morning, and I had so many bed bug bites that it literally looked like I had come down with chicken pox. And, and so it just seemed that every part of this vacation just somehow kept getting worse and worse. Uh, just when we thought we had hit rock bottom, we kept finding that we could actually sink just a little bit further. I remember when I finally got back to my apartment in Jordan a week or so later, uh, you know it's never good when you come home from vacation and your neighbor sees you and the first thing that he says is, what happened to you? You know, it, it's never a good sign when you need a, another vacation to recover from your vacation. Uh, but I think that we all have those rock bottom moments in life from time to time where things don't go as planned. I mean, some of you probably feel like you even have more than your fair share of those rock bottom moments. I'm sure many of you could share stories with me about a time when it didn't just feel like you were living life at the bottom, but where it felt like you were just down in the, the Marianas Trench itself. We, we all have those experiences. So the question then becomes, how do you live life at the bottom? How do you cope when you find yourselves in those situations? How do you keep putting one foot in front of the other? And how do you keep persevering even when times seem dark? 
We're going to look for answers to those questions as we continue through the book of Jonah today. Uh, But if anything has been made clear through our studies so far, it's that there's a clear downhill trajectory that we've seen in Jonah's own life. I mean, he was called to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, but instead he went down to Joppa to find a boat. While he was on this boat fleeing from the Lord, the Lord hurled a great storm his way, Uh, but instead of assisting the sailors and helping them get that boat to shore, helping them save their ship, we're told that Jonah instead went down below deck and he tried to sleep. This downward theme, it just keeps making an appearance again and again in Jonah's life. And especially at the end of our text last week, we saw that when the sailors understood Jonah to be the cause of this storm, they threw him overboard down into the depths of the sea. This is the lowest point yet in Jonah's life. As I just read, we see that Jonah he is sinking down even to the roots of the mountains He is quite literally at rock bottom. So let's look at two lessons that we can learn from a prophet who has lived life down at the bottom in order to see how you and I ought to live when we find ourselves there as well. Number one, rock bottom will strip you of everything but God, but that's in order that number two, rock bottom can show you that God is all you need. Living life at the bottom, it can strip you of everything but God, but that's so it can show you that God is all you need. So let's start with that first lesson. These rock bottom experiences that will strip you of everything but God. Uh, As we think about that, I just want to make a a couple of observations on this particular part of Jonah's story. Because even if you're unfamiliar with anything else that happened in Jonah's life, you're probably still familiar with what happened here. I mean, I can even remember studying this as a little kid in Sunday school, uh, where I remember one week during arts and crafts, uh, we they were trying to tie in the lesson to the story of Jonah. Uh, So they had us make one of those little cup and ball games uh, out of a rubber ball and some string. uh, And I I think it was a toilet paper roll. Uh, But in order to try to tie it into the lesson, the teacher had us decorate that toilet paper roll like a fish. So instead of a cup and ball game where you're trying to get the ball into the cup, you were trying to get Jonah into the mouth of the fish. Uh, So, you know, we all know this story, even as kids. This is a common story we hear at church camp and Sunday school uh, and uh, vacation Bible school. If there's anything that you know about Jonah, it's going to be this part of the story about his encounter with the great fish. 
uh, which is often depicted as a whale, though the text doesn't actually give us any specific details. So this is the most well-known part of Jonah's story, uh, but I would also argue that it's the least understood. I mean, it kind of makes sense in a way, because it is a, a pretty strange story. I mean, it's one of those that, that people kind of like to tell uh, as a bedtime story or uh, as a, it almost sounds kind of like a, a fairy tale or something. Uh, so it's something that we love to tell our kids, but we don't often stop and think about what this story has to teach us. I mean, our brains are so often hardwired to ask questions like, can a human really be swallowed up by a fish? I mean, is that even possible? Or, or if it is, could he really survive inside this fish for three days? So we think about the strangeness of this story, and we never get around to the significance that this story can have for our lives. And I don't know where you're at this morning spiritually, but if that's you, and if you've ever struggled with some of the details in this story, I just want you to think a moment and ask yourself what you believe about Jesus's resurrection. I mean, could a man really die on a cross and then be brought back to life? And if you do believe in that miracle that Jesus was in the grave for three days and then on the third day he rose again, well, then it shouldn't be that strange to also believe in a prophet that was in the belly of a fish for three days. And then on the third day, he was spit back out again. I mean, if God can raise somebody from the grave, well, surely he could sustain somebody in the gut of a fish. So, so if you already believe in the resurrection, then this story shouldn't pose a problem. And if you don't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, uh, then we don't need to be having a conversation about the possibilities of people being swallowed uh, by a fish. Uh, you need to stop by my office sometime this week because we have a more important conversation to have. Because it doesn't matter what you believe about the rest of the miracles of the Bible unless you first understand the miracle of the resurrection. But all of that being said, uh, let's try to spend some time trying to better understand this story, which is so often uh, so little understood. Verse 17 there, chapter 1, says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Clearly, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I mean, it wasn't that the fish was already going after Jonah and that the Lord just allowed him to swallow up this prophet. No, we're told that the Lord actually appointed this fish to swallow Jonah. The, the God of the entire universe, uh, he had a plan to rescue the people of Nineveh and part of his perfect and sovereign plan apparently involves a fish 
eating one of his prophets. Clearly, the Lord's ways are not our own. God didn't appoint another ship to shuttle Jonah back to Joppa so he could start over again. Uh, Even though the scriptures often talk about being lifted up on wings like eagles, the Lord didn't send Jonah a great bird so he could fly him first class over to Assyria. No, instead, the reality that we have is that he appointed a fish, one that would swallow him whole and vomit him back out again. I'm sure this would have been an absolutely terrifying ordeal. And inside that fish, I'm sure Jonah was cramped. I'm sure it was dark. It was probably difficult to breathe. And I am certain that he did not come out of there smelling like a bed of roses. But this is what it took for the Lord to finally grab Jonah's attention. Jonah didn't listen to the Lord when he called him to go to Nineveh. I mean, he tried to sleep through the storm that God sent his way. So this fish is God's wake-up call saying to Jonah, no more running. And though it may not seem like it, this fish is actually an act of God's mercy. This temporary suffering and discomfort is designed to prevent an even greater suffering later. Because Jonah's heart is filled with pride, arrogance. I mean, he's stubborn, he's racist. His life is headed just full speed down a path towards his own destruction. So even though Jonah's ordeal inside the guts of a fish are are grimy and disgusting, they are evidences of God's grace nonetheless. And when you think about your own life circumstances, sometimes success could actually be the worst gift that God could ever give you. Because many times, just leaving you to your own devices or letting you just run your own way to accomplish all of the goals that you've set out to accomplish, many times that is the the quickest way to, to your own demise. Sometimes you need these harsh wake up calls like Jonah. Sometimes you need to be trapped and cornered by the Lord so that he can finally grab your attention. Sometimes the Lord needs you to hit rock bottom so that he can strip you away from all of those distractions in life that were keeping you from him. Uh, Just think for a moment uh, about the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're familiar with that, Uh, Chapter 2, the author, who uh, presumably is King Solomon, uh, he wrote about his pursuits in life, his pursuits of wine and women and wealth. Uh, And he said in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, he said, I became great 
And I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Uh, But then in verse 11, he goes on to add that when I considered all my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. King Solomon was successful, yet his soul was still not satisfied. I mean, his resume was full, but his heart was empty. The Lord let Solomon go his own way. He gave him everything that his heart ever wanted. And because of that, he was actually more miserable than when he first begun. So if you ever feel like that you're just in a season of life that is particularly difficult, and like you're just like Jonah, drifting along the bottom of the sea, well, first, you should probably thank God that you are still alive, because living at rock bottom is still a whole lot better than being dead at rock bottom. But not only should you thank God for life, but thank him for his mercies as well. Even his harsh and severe mercies. Even grace that puts you in cramped, uncomfortable circumstances like Jonah. Thank him for that. Because it just might be that that he is using those moments to try to grab your attention in order that you would look back to him. So that's the first lesson. God will use rock bottom to strip you of everything but God. And now that we've seen that, we'll see through the second lesson uh, that he'll actually do so because he wants to show you that God is all you need. He uses those rock bottom moments in life to strip you of everything but himself, and he'll use those moments to show you that he is actually all you need. If you let it, uh, living your life at the bottom for a while, uh, enduring through those trials and those storms that come your way, uh, they can actually be a catalyst for your sanctification. Uh, they, they may not do much for your happiness, uh, but they can do wonders for your holiness. Uh, and as we think about this second lesson, uh, we're going to turn our attention to Jonah's prayer that he prayed while in the belly of the fish. Now, there's so much that could be said here. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover everything, but essentially... Everything that Jonah prays falls into one of two categories. Uh, On the one hand, he acknowledges his helpless state. And on the other hand, he pleads for the Lord's helping hand. So he acknowledges that he has been cast into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, He talks about how the flood surrounded him, how the waves and billows passed over him, how he has been driven away from the Lord's sight. 
And this imagery of bars closing around him for all eternity or of him having seaweed just wrapped around his head as he is drifting along the roots of the mountains. I mean, that pretty much summarizes his helpless state before the Lord rescued him through this fish. So you have that on the one hand, but then on the other is a plea for the Lord's helping hand. In Jonah's distress, we're told that he cried out to the Lord. And as Jonah's life was fainting away, he remembered the Lord. His prayer went up to God's holy temple. So Jonah acknowledges his helpless state and he pleads for the Lord's helping hand. But the real question in the midst of all of this is, is his prayer genuine? I mean, is this prayer a prayer of a truly repentant prophet? Or are these just deceptive words of some fraudulent phony? I mean, is Jonah sincere in this prayer? Or is he just willing to say uh, whatever flattering words it takes so that God will finally show some mercy on him? Uh, Notice uh, what is absent in Jonah's prayer. I mean, just scan through these verses again. You'll see uh, that he never explicitly repents of any wrongdoing. I mean, he never actually admits to any specific sin. Not to mention, he also makes several promises and vows in this prayer that he is clearly going to fail to keep in the chapters that come. So though Jonah is clearly appreciative of the fish that the Lord has used to rescue him from an otherwise watery grave, uh, though he is able to pray to God saying salvation belongs to the Lord, the question still remains, is this really a legitimate prayer of repentance? And knowing the stubbornness and hard-heartedness that will continue to be present in Jonah's life, even after his rescue, uh, I think it would be a pretty difficult stretch to say that Jonah is fully repenting and turning from his sins in this prayer. I think that would be a bit of a stretch, but that being said, he still may be on a path towards eventual repentance. Uh, He's not there yet, but he may just be on a path towards repentance. Uh, And I say that because of a question uh, that I want to bring up about the authorship of this book. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, if you've ever asked yourself this, um, but have you ever wondered... Uh, who wrote the book of Jonah? I mean, who, who wrote this book? Uh, you only have a, a couple of options. I mean, this book is technically anonymous, so we can never be for sure. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of very personal, private details about Jonah's life included in the story. Uh, details that don't exactly portray him 
in a very positive way. Details that he probably would not have been likely to share on his own. So, I mean, anybody technically could have been the author of this book, uh, but the Lord would have had to have, have given them a supernatural insight into Jonah's life, because uh, Jonah probably wouldn't have done that on his own. You know, so that's the, the first option. Or the only other real option is that Jonah wrote this book. And if Jonah wrote the book of Jonah, and if he put himself on display, warts and all, for all the world to see, well, it's unlikely that he did so unless he eventually did come to a place of repentance. I mean, he's not quite there yet in chapter 2. He's still quick to to give lip service, uh, yet he is slow to follow up those words with his obedience. But if Jonah wrote this book, and he seems like the most likely candidate to to have done so, then he wrote this book as a warning for others not to become like himself. And in many ways, Jonah honestly reminds me of the apostle Peter. Because Peter, as you know, was also a man at times whose actions didn't always match his words. I mean, Peter denied Christ three times on the same night when he said that he would rather die than ever deny Jesus. I mean, so the actions of both of these men don't always match their words. But that's not the only commonality that they have in common. There's actually a lot of ways that these two men are similar. Uh, Both Jonah and Peter were stubborn, uh, hard-headed, and both of these men faced their fair share of stormy waters. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, for example, uh, you have Peter and the other disciples uh, watching Jesus as he walks across the water of the Sea of, of Galilee. And Peter, who was either more brave than the other disciples or maybe more foolish or maybe a little bit of both, um, he decides to walk out on that water with Jesus. And he does fine for a while until he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he suddenly sees the size of all those waves around him and he hears those raging winds and he begins to sink. And as he sinks, he he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and pulls him out. Now, just compare that account to the text that we just studied today. I mean, Jonah had already been sinking beneath the waters and was on the verge of drowning, while Peter had been walking confidently on top of the water. Then Jonah turned his gaze up from in the waters. He turned his gaze back to the Lord and to his temple so that he might be saved, while Peter, on the other hand, was safe, until he took his eyes off the Lord. And then like Jonah, he too began to sink. 
So, so the order of, of events may be reversed a little bit in both of these stories. But both Jonah and Peter found themselves sinking into the sea. And therefore, both found themselves in need of a savior. Peter came to understand that only the Lord could reach his hands down into the waters to pull him out again to safety. Just as Jonah came to realize that only someone like the Lord was capable of miraculously sending a fish to rescue him from an otherwise certain death. And neither man fully trusted the Lord in the moment during those storms that they faced. Neither of these men were paragons of virtue or faith. In fact, there are many times when both of them failed the Lord in some pretty significant ways. But during some of the darkest hours of their lives, when it felt like they were living at rock bottom, both Peter and Jonah were able to realize that God was all they had, but God was also all they needed. And because of that, both of these men were then able to be used by the Lord, sometimes even in spite of themselves. But they were used by the Lord to accomplish great things. I mean, both of them would go on to save the lives of many thousands of people. The Lord used Jonah, as we'll talk about in the coming weeks, to save the lives of 120,000 citizens of Nineveh, just as he will use Peter to save over 5,000 Jews living in and around Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So even though Jonah didn't fully repent and turn from his sins in our text today, at least not yet, uh, you and I can still look at the story and we can see our own need for repentance. Because like Jonah, you and I were drifting along the ocean floor. We had the seaweed of sin wrapped around our heads. Like Jonah, you and I never had any hope of ever rescuing ourselves. But just as the Lord delivered Jonah through the miraculous efforts of this sea creature, so too can the Lord deliver you and I through the miraculous efforts of a Savior. I mean, Jonah was in the gut of this fish for three days, just as Jesus was in the grave for three days. And it's only when you see that Jesus actually sunk deep down to the ultimate rock bottom, being willing to even lay down his own life on your behalf. It's only then that we can allow Jesus to become that rock upon which we stand. So so even when it feels like you're sinking in life, uh, even when it feels like you are in way over your head, Even when it feels like you have been stripped from everything but God, may you look to Jesus 
and what he accomplished on the cross. And may we all understand that he is all we need. Rock bottom will strip you of everything but God, but it will also show you that God is all you need. Let me pray. Father, just again, thank you. Thank you for for being with us uh, in both the highs and the lows of life. Thank you for being with us on the mountaintops. Uh, Thank you for being with us in the valleys. Thank you for even being with us when we are down in the depths of the sea. May we just come to understand that no matter where we are in life, you are there too. And we can be saved rather than sink if we would just be willing to submit ourselves to you. We love you and we just say all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.